0: Is everybody having a good night so far yeah hey look I got some really good feedback right there <laughs> it's nothing like a Sunday morning and everybody's really quiet and tired I gotta tell you guys I'm worn out already I've had a long day thank you <laughs> thank you my wife's not here to tell me that so I'll take it <laughs> oh gosh CJ's not joking about what you get all of us in a room it's just crazy it's insane like i'm pretty sure i shouted enough times to like scare easton because i was we were playing spoons if y'all haven't played that it's really violent and really intense (laughs) it was fun it was a lot of fun uh before i get started i always like to say thank you you know to pastor cj and jen and for the church because i love the opportunity to speak and preach uh first felt the calling i think initially when i was like 13 when i first got saved and since then i had probably a lot of like struggles and bumps in the road that were like you know can you really afford to supply for a family as a pastor (laughs) can you know what does that lifestyle entail you know how many hours of work do you do because really a lot of times you're not clocking in and clocking out it's more or less a lot of hours behind the scenes and You know, there's a lot of things that happened in the process and a lot of things that we looked at. And it was something that kind of just fell underneath the bridge for a while. You know, we didn't really think about it. We put it on a back burner. And probably when I was 18, I got the calling again, and that's when I had to hit the ground running. And I actually took on the challenge of reading the Bible from cover to cover. And it was an awesome, awesome time. And I did finish the Bible cover to cover. It was really hard to get through the Old Testament. Especially when you're 18 and you just don't like to read anything like it was super hard, but it was well worth it and Every time I try and read through another section. I pick up something new and it's just so awesome But I remember that time whenever I had all of those trials and all of those things that were keeping me down and I Mean I remember you know it was a number of weeks ago I think it was like five or six weeks ago that I was put on the schedule to speak And they said, all right, well, we're gonna do July 11th. And I was like, wow, that's a long time away. And I was like, okay, I got this. I'm not gonna procrastinate, I'm gonna get on it. And I went home and I prayed, and immediately that night, I knew exactly what I was gonna preach on. I was like, gosh, I've got so long to work on this. And what I came up with was I remembered an old story, and I'm gonna tell y'all this, because I thought it was a really good illustration. There was a young man going around to garage sales with his wife, early 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 in the morning on saturdays when he wanted to sleep in because he had worked a long you know monday through friday eight to five handled a lot of things like me i'm tired today and he wakes up early in the morning on his saturday and he takes his wife to go garage and yard sailing because that's what she loves to do and they come across this house and they go up he kind of goes up to the back area and his wife's looking at all these baby clothes and whatever is out here on the front and the lawn And he gets to this table and he's looking at this table and he's looking at some old, rusted, just beat up tools. And there's about five of them there, four or five of them there. And you know, he looks up and what do you know, he sees Satan. I know, this story just took a turn for the worse. So he's looking at this table of just beat up, used, rusty tools, and he looks up and there's Satan in his face. And of course he's not scared, he's gonna have a logical conversation with Satan now. He said, what is the deal with all these tools? And he's like, oh, these are my favorite tools. He's like, really? And he looks back down and he starts seeing the prices. And he starts looking and he looks at the first tool he sees and it's kind of the newest one, if you can say that. It's still really beat up and ugly looking. And you know he looks at the price and it's like $15,000. He's like, what is this? And Satan's like, that's lust. That's a really good one. I get a lot of young men with that one college years, a breeze. I snatch them up all day, every day with lust. That's a good tool, worth the money. He's like, okay. And uh, He looks over and this tool's a little bit more beat up and he looks down, he sees the price like $20,000. What is this? He says, it's gluttony. He says, especially in the United States, I get away with that one all day, every day. It's like, if you've ever been overseas, our large isn't even on the menu. <laughs> like, it's crazy. And He's like, Definitely worth the money. And so he goes to the next one, and it's more beat up tool. He's like, what is this one for like $30,000? He's like, that's pride. He's like, a lot of people fall for that one because they want to think that they're somebody better than they are. They want to think they're high and mighty. And when you make somebody feel good in the right type of way or the wrong type of way, they'll fall for it every day. He's like, definitely worth the price. And he goes on to the next tool, and it's more beat up. He says, what is this for like $40,000? He's like, that's fear. Everybody has it. All you gotta do is have the right tool to manipulate it. Definitely worth the money. And he looks at the last tool on there and the price skips all the way up to $100,000 for this. The worst possible, ugliest looking tool on there. He said, all right, you've given me some good ones but there's no way this is worth the money. What is this? Satan kind of looks around, makes sure his wife's still looking at baby clothes out there, leans and he says deception. Deception is the number one tool that Satan tries to use on a day-to-day basis. I believe this personally. I mean, a lot of people can probably have different views on it. But for me, I think that that's perfect right on the mark because Satan uses deception on a day-to-day basis to change the way that you would view God and that you would view sin, and when it comes down to it, black and white, we are called by Jesus to walk in Him. I tell the youth almost every time we start, or at least a couple times, I'm like, "What does Christian mean? You know, does anybody the youth know what Christian means? you don't want to say it out loud, or y'all too shy? Tell me. Little Jesus and a Peter and yeah, little Jesus or little Christ—that's what Christian means." It means to be an imitation of Jesus, which, you know, in short, Paul went direct and straight to the point in his letters. He was like, I call you to be perfect. I want you to be exactly like Jesus. And so he gets into this mode and he starts saying, this is what you're called to do. And, uh, you know, across the scape, we're gonna look at all these things that have hurt us or that we've hit speed bumps in the road. And deception is one of the number one things. And today I'm here to talk to you guys about it because I think that there's no real trick that I can give you guys. I think CJ said one time, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. You know, I don't think that there's anything super fantastically eye-opening about this, but I think it's something that needs to be re-hit on the surface, because a lot of times, that's what it takes to change our walk to get that extra step in what we're doing. And so, I've got a few quick points. I always try to break it down to a few points, but the first one is that Satan will do everything in his power to discredit something that will grow your soul and your spirit. Satan will do every possible thing in his power to discredit what will grow and produce happiness and growth in your soul. That is a hard fact. And everybody's like, yeah, of course we know that. That's a good one, that's an easy one. Because for one, you know, I think this is a good one. Satan wants you to feel like reading is boring it's not needed it's something that we don't want to do it's like reading is the last thing that makes me feel okay what i want to do when i get home to relax is i want to watch tv or for me i love to play games like if i can just like wait till ashley and eliza go to sleep and i can turn on my playstation for like 30 minutes i'm a happy camper because i got to do something that's like mind-numbing and is just like hand-eye coordination and i'm good or you know i would go spend like you know an hour or so in the gym just goofing off, shooting around, doing whatever. Not really trying to improve, but it's something that I had the mechanics down after so many years that it was just normal to just go around and just shoot and just get the ball and shoot it again, just be by myself. That was so cleansing. And what Satan doesn't want you to feel like is that reading your Bible and growing and building a relationship with God is comfortable, is relaxing, is something that you need to do. He wants you to feel like that's a bother. But you know what? the simple fact that the top 1% of America, several of them, dropped out of high school or dropped out of college. That's what a lot of people wanna bring up. It's like, those guys didn't even go to school, so why should I? Because they figured something out. No, they had to drop out many times because of circumstances that they were in. But did you know that most of upper class and upper middle class read one novel, read one novel a month Consistently reading, consistently growing, and it's a nonfiction novel too. So it's not you know fairy tales and Harry Potter and all this good stuff. It's something that is really something geared towards building your education, building your confidence and building your thriving life, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. This is something that you know Satan doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to have those keys to life. Reading your Bible is one of them. God, Satan wants you to blame others. For your struggles and problems and areas of your life, when it comes down to it, a lot of people sit down and they go to therapists and they, you know, talk things out. And really, you know, we all have different issues and things that we struggle with. We all have different things that we come across that are really obstacles and road bumps in our day-to-day lives. And what Satan really tries to do a lot of times, and what we do, I think kind of subconsciously sometimes, is we kind of put that blame off on other things. You know. It's really like I blame the fact that, oh my gosh, like, you know, Ashley's asking me to do XXX X, X, next. I've got to do XXX X, X, next because I own my own business. I've got a lot of hours I'm clocking in here. I got to go help with the youth group. I got to go do my lesson. It's like the last thing I want to do is these three things that you put on my list. You know, It's like I'm blaming her saying that she's taking up all of my time when she's really giving me like 4% of my day. And it's something that I should love and cherish and want to do for her. And then, in the midst of that, in the midst of me feeling those emotions and getting snappy or angry, and then we start a fight, and that's, you know, generally how something like that gets started. You know, I wasn't gossiping. I wasn't going to somebody and saying, "Oh my gosh, you won't believe what Ashley told me today." Who asked me to do? You know, you can imagine me and Andrew getting together and talking about, as husbands do, what our wives are making us do and how awful life is. We don't do that. We love each other. We love our wives, but, you know. A lot of times, you know, Satan tries to cover it up in ways that we don't normally think about. Normally when you think about putting your problems off on somebody else, you're thinking about I'm talking about them behind their back. In reality, a lot of times, we get this kind of covered up truth that Satan wants to give us. Satan wants us to really feel like we're talking to air when we pray. He wants us to feel like there's nobody listening. He wants you to feel like you're in a room alone that nobody's there, that your prayer is not really helping anything. Satan wants you to feel like that your prayer isn't strong enough. Your prayer isn't as good as Pastor CJ or Pastor Jim, because they're pastors. God wants you to think that you're not as holy as the next person or the person you hear on, you know, air one or Caleb, because you're not getting paid to do whatever they are for God's work. But in reality, we're all the same. We're all equal. God has put us in a high position, every single one of us. And we're all furthering the kingdom in our own special way. You know, one thing that I actually came across in my reading, because I started doing the uh, Bible in chronological order, which that one was, that one was a tough one that I started, like, a couple years ago, and I didn't finish. I felt bad about it, so I was like, I'm going to do it this time. And I came across... Um, Genesis 3, and I thought it fit perfectly with this. This was like a week ago, and I was like, that's it. And when you're looking at Genesis 3, I'm going to read 1 through 6 and then verse 13. Starting in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden, from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and that must not that we must not touch it or we will die you will not certainly die the serpent said to the woman for God knows when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it, ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now we pretty much know that part of the story. The serpent tricks her and talks her into eating the fruit. And he's like, telling me you can't eat from any fruit in the you know, garden at all? Like none of the trees? He's like, he knew that was a dumb question. He was waiting for a response. She's like, Oh, we can eat from any of the trees in here. We just can't eat from that one. It's okay. We've got like thousands of trees and fruit and you know everything we could possibly need here. We just don't we don't eat from that one. That's okay. You know, to her, up until this point, she was completely content with that. And then Satan slips it in real quick. You most certainly will not die. That's the joke. That's stupid. Who told you that? No, if you eat from that fruit, you're going to be like God and you're going to know, you know, good and evil. You're going to know everything. He doesn't want you to do that. And so then it came down to the point of who do you trust more, Satan or God? And then in verse 13, I love it because I thought it spoke so perfectly well. So God's come to the garden. He's looking for him. He's like, where are you guys at? They found out they were naked because they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they're like, oh my gosh. So they sew some clothes together. And then God says, then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. The first sin, his first trick, the one he's been using since the dawn of time for $100,000 deception. Such a key fact. So the second thing I want to talk about, kind of along the same line, the second point is Satan will tempt us with sinful things in a way that they are more appealing. Wow, Devin, you've really come across a cornerstone here. If we hadn't have figured that out by this point, we never would have made it to heaven. Like, it's a solid idea. So the first part we're talking about, you know, Satan wants to discredit anything that's good for us. And everything that's bad for us now in the second point, I'm saying that Satan makes it more appealing people are like, well, duh, that's it. But let's look at all the different things that we consume in life. Mainly, I'm going to go with what I went for college, you know, for communication and media. Because media is a prime time example of this. And I'll give it to you like this. There is a communication theory that is called the agenda setting theory. I don't know if any of y'all know about the agenda setting theory. The agenda setting theory states that media cannot tell you what to think, but they tell you what to think about media can't tell you what to think they can tell you what to think about nobody can force you to you know go buy two 16 packs of bud light and go to your house and drink it all in one night but what media can do is they can throw a 30 second segment commercial on and say you know what you need to have a good time these two cases of bud light a bunch of beautiful women or buff men around you and we're going to have fireworks popping off in the background and we're all going to be around a lake because it's really good to be like smashed drunk around a lake. You know, that's always a good idea. You know, it's all these different things and they portray this idea of what happiness and success and life should be like. In our daily shows now, we can see that sex has become something that is kind of standardized now. It's like, we don't have to be married. As long as you, you know, you're living life and you really like that person or you think you're making a good decision or you use protection, go for it. You know, it's not going to hurt anybody. Or the fact that nowadays for Christians, we're struggling with the idea that they're rationalizing, you know, same-sex marriages and homosexuality and all these different things, these identity problems. It's something that they're trying to come to grips with, and you can see churches on the West Coast agreeing with it saying it's okay. You can see nowadays, and I love this one I picked up, but that we believe that success is measured by money looks and status. A lot of times the media tries to portray, you know, who's happy, who's successful, what are they doing? It's all about what's your job, how much you're making, how you look, who you're with, who you're married to, you know, what do you do for a living, is all wrapped around this concept of everything you hold in your material, intermediate life. And Satan's deception is slipping into every single one of these things. He's making these things the norm. He's wanting to make these things show you that like, that's where you're gonna find happiness, that's where you're gonna find success, that's where you're gonna strive. Satan wants you to think that that house, that car, that promotion, that moving out to you know, this college way across the United States or you know, whatever in these different situations that you're striving towards next, that's when you're gonna be fulfilled. And then you know what happens when you get to that point, there's always a step up. There's always something more. There's always something better. Contentment goes hand in hand with deception and where you stand. Because if we look at it from a biblical standpoint, we have everything that we need right here with us. We have our church family. We have God. I mean, if anything else fails, we've got God. I met a guy the other day that, you know, we were talking. He was like, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty well for myself. I've got my wife, I've got two kids, and, you know, we're living in Springdale now. And, you know, he was he was living, you know, life. He was happy, you know. I." You know, I did it through Uber, and I dropped him off at his house from the airport, and he had gone on a business trip. He was like, we're doing really well. His house wasn't super special, you know, but it was something like, I don't have a house. I was like, he's pretty good, you know, and we were talking, and we almost got to his house, and he was like, yeah, man. He was like, but like six, seven years ago, I hit a rough time. Like, I was out in Miami, and he was homeless, and he was addicted to drugs, and he was like, that was seven years ago, and now you know, God's completely changed my situation. And I'm like, wow. Like, You could have been set with that idea. You could have deceived yourself and said that, that's who I am. I'm never gonna succeed. I'm never gonna go beyond this point. And that's what a lot of times Satan tries to deceive us with. I think that's my final point on number two. It's a lot of times the situations and things that are around us Satan deceives us into thinking that's who we are. I've got a good friend who's a missionary right now. And I remember he used to, just an honesty thing, you know, he's not, you know, here with us right now, but he used to struggle with pornography. And when he did, he told his fiance at the time, he was like, you know, I just can't get over this. This is, you know, this is really hard for me. This is who I am. And she kind of was like, that's not who you are. That's not who God's called you to be. You can accept that, but neither I nor God is going to accept that. And he told me, he was like, that was the time when I really shifted gears because for a long time, I just thought that was who I am. I've talked with several people growing up that was like, from where we grew up and, you know, honestly, for our race, you know, some people were like, this is where I'm going to be. This is who... I'm gonna stay, this is what I'm gonna do, this is the life that I'm in and there's no way around it, there's no way out of it. In different situations, you know, people grow up in a church family or not a church family or they grow up in different parts of the world and they assume that this is how I'm gonna live, this is what I'm gonna do. And a lot of times as extreme cases that if you wanted to branch out, especially in a spiritual way, and you find Jesus, and you want to take on the role of being a Christian and an imitator of Jesus, it can cost you your life. I spent a summer, two months in a country where I couldn't talk about Christianity in public, otherwise I would be put in jail and sent on an airplane right back home in like a week. So I'd have to spend a week in jail in a country halfway across the world before they would send me back. And that we went to church one time throughout it, and it's because we caught wind of a secret church. That we had, I still cannot to this day, if you drop me off in the Capitol, I could not make my way back there because we went through so many doors and we went down so many alleys. And I mean, it literally took me 30 minutes of walking through, you know, a maze what it felt like to get to this point where I could go to this room. And right before I opened the door, all you hear is just the thumping of music because they were worshiping so hard. They were giving their whole life. And they picked that space in particular because nobody could hear them and because they could be as zealous as possible and as giving and as loud and as amazing as they possibly could with what they had in that moment because they wanted to be as secure in Christ as they could. And they knew that if they didn't take that risk and if they didn't push themselves and if they didn't give themselves the opportunity to get together as a church, they weren't following what God had in store for them. And I pray to this day, they're still there. I mean, it's been five years but I know that they're doing amazing. And it's so great to see that when you break down the walls of what Satan has in his deception and in his lies for you, what you can uncover. And so the final third point we're gonna move into is how do we know if we're being deceived? Because I wasn't up here just blowing smoke the whole time and you know, giving you the points about you know Satan's gonna discredit anything that allows you to grow And then the fact that he's going to make everything that's bad for you more appealing. You know, we're tipping the scales now. But really, the whole idea is to open some eyes. How is Satan deceiving you? And I got to tell you, I had to hold on to this nugget for like a month and a half so you can tell me that my world was a little bit turned upside down. I got to take a good hard look at Devin before I could bring God's word to you guys because I was like, man, let me think about all the things that you know, I listen to in my music or that I'm reading or that what's going on on my social media or how I'm handling my business and my success with my business. How am I directing all of my actions to God? All of these different things. I will say this to look at your life, to look at your situation from an outside view or pull yourself back some. That's really what a lot of times the prayer time is like. I mean... In all honesty, we can pray at any point in time. You could be driving in your car, you know, listening to Christian mu- Christian music, Christian music on the radio. You could be worshiping, praising along, and you could get really serious and just praise. You drive. You could sit in your, you know, closet with all your papers on the wall, like war room. And you can pray. You could have kids running around, tearing everything up at the house, and you're praying for God to give you patience, because if He gives you strength, you're going to need bail money to go with it. And you know, you've got all of these different things going on. You can pray at any point in time, but what God wants us a lot of times, and you know, I think what it kind of talked about, I can't remember what book, but it talked about kind of praying in secret. I think it was in Matthew. And the whole idea was it was to take yourself away. You didn't have to pray out in the open for everybody to see. You didn't have to put on this big spectacle because what praying, prayer, reading your Bible, this relationship with God is all about you and him and it really doesn't matter what anybody else has to say or think about it because that's just between you and the Father. And when you take that step back and you have a little bit of privacy and you look at your life and you really pray earnestly to God, reveal what I need to do to move to the next step in my life. God will reveal it, and He won't hold back any hesitations. You know, I've always kind of prided myself and thought, you know, especially when I came here and I started my own business, I always thought I had an entrepreneur mindset. I was always looking for the next thing to do. I always looked into things like investing and, you know, you know, organization things, which I'm a horrible organizer. Actually, <laughs> like, is my complete other half on that. If you guys don't believe me you just ask her it is ridiculous like i can't you know put anything together in like a week without her and you know when i'm looking at all this i always look like i want to move to the next thing i can't stand still or be steady if i have numbers projecting me to be somewhere i want to be ahead of those numbers and a lot of times i find it in my spiritual life too is like i will think man i'm doing pretty good right now i read my bible you know every single day i read so many chapters i pray three times a day like I am consistent I'm on it and then all of a sudden in a week I feel like I'm just stagnant I'm I'm horrible like what am I doing like I don't feel like I'm anywhere close to the people that I'm seeing you know on the worship team or out in the crowd it was like where am I and I start finding myself comparing myself to other people in my relationship I start seeing myself say I'm just not good enough what do I do what do I need to do to get to the next step because everybody can grow and get to that next step And that's when, you know, blessed by this church, I get to be around people that really push me and challenge me and give me the time. And I mean, Sunday and Wednesdays at New Song are probably one of the most challenging things because there's always something that makes you kind of sit down and think about what's going on in my life. What can I do to better this kingdom or this church or the people around me? How can I serve the church? How can I serve other people how can I give my time and energy to something that really doesn't physically, materially give me anything back, but will do wonders for somebody down the road? And I mean, the story of this church is all about people giving, you know, literally their life and their love and their passion and their heart for days, weeks, hours, months, years of their life so that somebody else can get a taste of God's kingdom. Somebody had the idea years ago that they were gonna do something great for God's kingdom and build something miraculous. Just so we could ask for one youth pastor and get three of them and be right down the road from the fifth largest high school in the state that wasn't even supposed to be built there. And that we have a chance to change lives. And not only that, but there's I think like three subdivisions being built around that church building that weren't planned to be built. At that time when they got the land i mean so many things have happened that god has put in our way and there's deception in there you know i'm not i don't know anything about cj as we haven't talked about it but i'm sure there's been deception of like is all this worth it you know cj is tired exhausted he's working hard especially the people that are always on the site they're working so hard you think that thought hasn't slipped into their mind i don't know if it has i'm not saying it for you guys but i mean it's like what if all my efforts were to waste If I'm killing myself for something that's not really gonna gain, what does it matter? It's God's word, it's God's plan, it's God's law, it's what God has provided for us. And you know what, they come in here with their hearts open every single day and give everything they have because they know that that's what God's called them to do and they're not gonna believe in Satan's deception and lies. And so one thing I kinda added last second before I close out of here, a couple things actually. One thing I added this morning was um, I was on one of my conference calls for my work. We have one pretty much every day, Monday through Friday. And today is Q and A day on Wednesday. So, you know, everybody around the company sends in anonymous questions. Either I'm having problems, you know, in my sales pitch or I don't know how to deal with a client who has this and this issue, like anything. And the CEO gets on the call. He's an awesome dude, his name's Dave Duran. And he gets on and he answers all the questions personally. Then we go through this little Q&A for about an hour. And one thing he said, and I love it, it's his quote. He says, the difference between an amateur and a professional is why. Amateurs accept the situation and say they don't deserve success or happiness and that they are set in the environment that they're in right at this moment. Professionals ask why this is happening and how I can get better results. The difference between an amateur and a professional, which we're professionals because we're in this building, we're Christians, we're like Jesus with, you know, imitating the best of the best. Jesus never walked into a situation and said it was impossible. You know, many times Jesus in different ways, shapes and forms looked to the guy next to him or looked to the woman next to him and said, why do you think it's impossible? Because this is how it's gonna happen. Jesus went and sweat blood because he was asking the father, why do I have to do this? And he knew why, and he did what he had to say. Right now, I tell you to ask yourselves, you know, why do I struggle with this certain thing I might have a problem with, you know? What in my life is holding me back from the next step in my Christian walk? If you look at the people around you and you think I'm not as zealous as them, well, what's holding you back from being at that point? If you feel uncomfortable with lifting your hands in worship or how you, you know, handle your spiritual life or if you're reading on a day-to-day basis, if your prayer time is good, if your relationship with God is good, you can pray all day, every day, but if it's not with a sincere heart and love, it's not going to do anything. You can have the confidence and power to pray and tell a mountain to move and it will move, but if you don't love, it's pointless. Now I'm gonna leave y'all with a quote and it was from God's Not Dead and it's like my favorite scene, it's from the first movie. And it was towards the end of the movie in the climax, which the climax of God's Not Dead is bam, God is not dead and everybody starts getting saved from storylines A through like D or E. You know, There's four or five different people that just come to realization of who God is and who Jesus is, spoiler alert. But there is one at the end, and it's Mark, and I think it's his mother-in-law. It's his mother-in-law's got dementia. She didn't even remember what his name is uh, most of the time. Like, she really doesn't know who he is. He just does it out of the fact that, like, he respects his wife, or he really likes this lady, and she's super kind. And at the end, there's Mark, and he said, you prayed and believed your whole life, never done anything wrong, and here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. So, for one, he's going to have this super serious spiritual argument with a lady that has dementia. So, she's supposed to be not even be in her right mind for this. And, you know, he's this super successful businessman that's, you know, making so much money. He's driving that perfect car. He's got that, you know, perfect house. He's got the wife. He's got the kids. He's got everything. His life is perfect. She's suffering. And in an act of what the Holy Spirit is, and this is a movie, but I believe that God's Spirit acts in even more powerful ways than this on a day-to-day basis. Mina's mother, sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Their sin is like a jail cell, except it's all nice and comfy, and there doesn't seem to be any reason to leave the doors wide open till one day time runs out and the cell door slams shut, and suddenly it's too late. That is the most, I think that's the realest concept of deception I could possibly think of at the time. Because that's what deception's all about. Satan doesn't want you to see what's happening behind the scenes. Satan doesn't want you to see the destruction that your actions are causing. He doesn't want you to see what you know, media or day-to-day things that you're letting into your life that aren't of God's will and aren't of God's plan separate you and sever that connection with Jesus. And he wants you to feel like you're all comfy, you're all cozy and nothing's wrong. He wants you to be stagnant. He wants you to stand still. But Jesus didn't stand still, he walked on water. He was still moving. And as he walked on water, he asked somebody else to have faith, to walk on water. And that's where I think we need to be church because we're at such a critical time. We're at such an amazing place. I mean, you know, I felt the call to be a church planner and to be here in this process and this time is giving me more realization than I could possibly imagine. It was like, man, this is it. This is so amazing. Like, I came on the tail end of everything, and I'm so excited because I know what God has planned. And church, I can tell you, that new building and everything doesn't mean anything because the people that are here today, you know, the people that are here right now, loving each other, making that connection, growing with one another, you, every single one of you, are going to be the people that are going to drive new song. Because it's just like I tell people on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's like, I like what I do. You know, I sell advertisements. It's a big part of my job. And I think every business needs to advertise. I tell people all the time, you can't go outside and pick a car out there that hasn't been a sponsorship brand, that you haven't seen sponsored anything, you don't see advertisements of it. It's out there. Even Lamborghini, and Lamborghini's special because they don't put on TV advertising because they say people that make enough money to buy our cars aren't watching TV. They're reading (laughs) books or magazines. So it's like super, you know, it's just super straight to the point that, you know, the best thing that you can possibly do for your business, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit or whatever you do, is word of mouth, is growth. And advertisement is always that way to say that you are one person, and that you can't reach a ton of people. The church is a special occasion because every single person in the body of the church was directly commanded by Jesus thousands of years ago to go into every single nation, to every city, to every county, to every town of 200 people, like where my wife came from, to cities of over 200,000 people where I grew up and preach the gospel and connect people with Jesus Christ and save their lives. And that's what's so amazing, is we have so many arms and legs, even in this building right now, that when we take off the deception of the fact of, oh, I'm kinda nervous, I don't wanna reach out and talk to somebody, or in our personal lives when we're dealing with these struggles and these pains, when we break away those walls walls of deception, those walls of lies, those things that Satan keeps trying to tell us to keep us from the growth and from the immense power that we have, that's when we really start to see a change and that's when you start to see revival and I see revival for Northwest Arkansas, especially for Centerton, Arkansas, because we're gonna do something amazing. So tonight, I don't know, that's, oh, it's almost eight o'clock. So, you know, I'm gonna kind of leave y'all with just a little bit of time. I think we got out a little bit early, but I wanted to kind of just give us the opportunity to uh, take time to look over to pray by ourselves, to really take some insight into our lives, and to really just use this opportunity, I know on a Wednesday night, to really get regeared, refocused, because we're gonna finish out this week strong. And I always tell the youth before we leave, I don't think a Christian is made on Sunday, I think a Christian's made Monday through Saturday. We're always so pumped up and encouraged here, but when we get out into the real world, that's when we really have our chance to reach out and touch people's lives. So I'm gonna kind of leave y'all with some prayer here. God, I just come to you in prayer and I thank you for this wonderful group of people. I thank you for this awesome congregation, Lord. And I just pray, you know, a blessing from you, Jesus, that you will open our eyes, that you will reveal to us what the next step in our life is, that you will uncover any lies, any deception, any pain, any hurt, anything that we hold on to, that takes us away from what you have in store for us. And God, I pray that you will drive us closer to you, that you will help us to be confident and courageous, to accept the calling and to accept what you have us to do. God, we pray that we're able to step out on the water with faith like no other. And we pray that that point that we want to be at in our spiritual lives, that God, you will push us to be at that point, that we don't care what we have to go through, what trials and tribulations that we are going to have to suffer but that god that we reach that point with a zealous joyful and happy heart spirit and soul and that god you will do nothing but make everything that we say and do revert back to you jesus we love you so much we praise you and we pray that you will keep us safe and we pray that you will move new song in a way that has never been seen before God, we thank you again. It is in your name in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All
1: right. Thank you, Devin, and for bringing that word. And I was just sitting there thinking how amazing there are so many things that Devin said that verbatim, I had an opportunity to, one of our church family members that um, just been in my heart and I talked to one of their family members said, yeah, they could use some encouragement, so I went and had coffee at their house this morning and spent a little time with that person and just the conversation we had, we left, is so much of what Demo's is saying about the fact that, you know, we have so many times the devil is trying to speak things into our life and we think it's our own thoughts, which which they are, but the devil's planning them, right? And uh, so that exact conversation happened. I said, I told this person, I said, you know, you're around work and these people who are trying to influence you the other way, but really they're just followers too. And, and what i found is you're, it, it's hard for me as a pastor sometimes. I'm standing there talking to them thinking, I know all my past failures too. And if you could only see where God's taken me and know that he wants to do the same thing for you. But, but I'm, I'm looking in this person's situation and realize the enemy is saying things to them like he used to me. Like I could never measure up to the people that I see that seem to be just living for the Lord and everything's great. And the simple advice I said is, you know, I started looking for opportunities every day where the enemy wanted to put something in my spirit or in my mind, and I dedicated that moment to them, whether it was worship music or a message or something. And I said it was as simple as that. I started listening to things that brought my attention back to the Lord and crowded out the opportunity for the enemy to speak those things and use those tools that you talked about and said it's not like salvation was immediate. I just asked for forgiveness, and that was immediate. But that sanctification, that process of going away from sin turning close to God, it it was like a year later, all of a sudden, I'm not struggling with the thing I thought I was, that was the worst thing. But I had a new one, you know, the enemy will keep throwing things there. And so, but next thing you know, three years, a year down the road, two years down the road, whatever it is, you look back and think, wow, I can see how far God has taken me. I've often said, when Jennifer and I did Body for Life, the transformation in that 13-week um, fitness program happens so quickly, but yet your mind doesn't have time to catch up with the changes that they tell you you need to take a before picture and you need to take an after picture. And so when you open those health magazines, fitness magazines, you see this before and after, and you're like, yeah, right. That person starved themselves or <laughs> or that's their twin that's always been in shape and they just paid the, you know, and maybe there's a little bit of that goes on, but, but we saw that really happen. But w- honestly, when we look at the beginning and say, wow, we can't believe that. You know, the problem in spiritually is we can't really take a snapshot, you know, nor would we really want to in some cases, of, of the unhealthiness in our spiritual life and the difference a year down. But a lot of times we do need to stop. That's about your testimony and stop and say, man, look at the things that God has helped me to overcome and that was my message to that person today and you know what that also I almost brought that up before your message and I'm glad I didn't because it would almost seem like you know I'm glad you got to say what you did and then I was able to say that was exactly what I was telling this person and here's the deal the enemy is trying to speak those things to every one of us in different levels and it's easy for us to make the assumption that we're the only one. But you know you have a church family member. I'm not going to mention their name. I'm not going to give you a hint nothing. And it's not that they would care. Because honestly, it was a pretty open conversation that I think they, they wouldn't even care. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you that there is a pers- there are people many times that are missing from these seats week after week. And it can be three four weeks. And my question to you is, are we making the assumption that we're the only ones that deal with that? Or are we realizing, does the radar go off, say, hey... I'm not seeing so-and-so. I wonder if the enemy's trying to talk to them like he has me. Maybe I need to call them. That did as much for me this morning. I had all the pressure stuff going on. My phone, I'm glad I put it away. I watched a thing that convicted me, and it wasn't even a Christian deal. It was a guy talking about how, what message it sends people when you have your phone out, even if you have it in your hand while you're talking to them. And it convicted me because I do that around my family all the time. And so I purposely, but I could feel that thing buzzing, bzzz, bzzz, bzzz. And we were talking, so I didn't want to turn the buzzer off because I didn't want to pull the phone out. But it was like, good grief, that is a distraction. But with all the busyness, there was nothing better I could have done this whole week than that couple hours this morning with, with a, a family member in the body. And so my challenge to you is with what Devin has brought to us tonight to take that, not only for yourself, but realize when you see others, you shouldn't wait till they're gone from the service for a few times or that you don't hear from them in a while. But you should be meeting together outside of this place. Take the time out of your busy schedule. I've, I've said this for years. I'm going to tell you there will be a breakthrough in this church and in your life and in your family and in your workplace if you will heed that, that encouragement. And just purpose, set a reminder on your phone or something that I'm going to pick one person and this week I'm going to call them. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to encourage each other. I'm going to do one person each week until it becomes a habit that you're doing that and see what the Lord does in your life and in theirs and others. If everyone, if you look around just the amount of people we have tonight, if every one of us picked one person in this body of believers, God has planted us in and did that. The encouragement, the uplifting. We got people that that it's so sporadic when they're here with us. They've got so much life stuff going on. But I'm a believer that if, if they are being ministered to in such a way that it is meeting the desperation in their lives, they won't want to be gone. They, they will make sure they're here because that will be the life bread for them of, of examples of Christ in their life here shining into their lives. That is vital. And Jennifer and I have conversations over and over again. Our friends who struggle the most in their families and in their walk with the Lord are the ones that get forgotten and disappear for a while and don't have contact with others, brothers, sisters in Christ. When you become an island unto yourself, the enemy has a heyday. And so I'm going to tell you, you need to be willing to open yourself up. And when you get the call, be willing to lay it out there on the line and say, yeah, you can pray for me. This is what the enemy's been trying to do to me. And I guarantee you things will, things will turn around. So I'm not going to preach a second sermon because Devin did great on his own. It's just it just in me. <laughs> just one. So I love you guys. And uh, again, things are, uh, things are happening. This will be a season that will be closing. The banker stopped out the other day, by the way, and they are encouraging us to finish. I'll say it that way. So the pressure is on. So pray, help where you can, keep giving towards a building project. We want to finish well, and God is going to see us through this season. Amen. Love you guys. Fellowship as long as you want. If you're heading home, be careful, and we'll see you Sunday.